Hello and welcome to the weekly VM Campos Comic Book Club. I'm your host, VM Campos. This is a podcast where I answer the question, what am I reading this week? This week I've got No Ducks, number two, from Last Gasp Eco Funnies, published in 1979. Wow, where to begin with this comic? Little bit of history. This is probably the oldest comic that I've reviewed in in my podcast. And it comes from the waning days of the underground comics movement. That's comics with an X. C-O-M-I-X. That was a movement that started in about 1969 with the publication of Zap Comics Number 1 from Apex Novelties and spearheaded by famed comic creator Robert Crumb. Zap Comics in 1969 ushered in a weird, psychedelic, adult, vulgar, fascinating era of comics that was not dominated by the big publishers, Marvel or DC. It was from a bunch of hippies, potheads, degenerates, geniuses, lowlifes. Anyone with a printing press, it seemed, could make some underground comics and sell them in head shops non-code-approved locations where you could buy various paraphernalia in addition to comic books, subversive comic books. Going a little bit back further, in the mid-50s, early 50s, the Comics Code Authority was established, which was a self-policing body that would make comics nice. Because the U.S. Congress had nothing better to do in the early 50s than blame comic books for all the ills of American society. Rather than be federally regulated, the comics industry decided to self-regulate. Thus, the Comics Code Authority was created in the mid-50s. So for about 15 years, comics were very sanitized. That created a generation of comic creators that wanted something besides the goody-goody two-shoes G-rated stuff. And thus, underground comics with the supernova of Zap Comics number 1 in 1969. The comic in question today, No Ducks Number 2, was published in 1979, so about a decade after the beginning of the underground comics movement. And it's hard to quantify exactly when it actually ended, did it really even end, but most people say from 1969 to 1980 uh, was uh, the underground comics movement, more uh, closer towards uh, 69 to like 72, I suppose. So this was during the later days. I have to admit, I don't have that many underground comics in my collection, and I want to rectify that. But this one stood out to me because it was referenced by Steve Galacci in his Albedo series published in the 80s. Albedo is the famed funny animal anthology series from the 80s. It was one of the first furry comics. But wait a minute, things don't just happen spontaneously. By a comic strip in this anthology series to publish his own epic series in, in about 1983. So this comic, it's an underground comic. It's a funny animal comic, AKA a furry comic. It's a proto furry comic. It's an anthology in black and white, and it's filled with a variety of fun, weird, surrealistic, gross stories from a variety of creators. I'm reviewing issue number two because I think this is the more interesting one. 
Issue number one on the cover is stated as PG. This one is stated as adults only. And it really lives up to it because there's sex and violence and sci-fi and dead bodies and weirdness and cuteness and surrealism all wrapped up in these pages. You get a sense of what you're in for by the cover itself. There is a Donald Duck-esque character taking a nosedive from the sky, his tails flaming, little X's on his eyes, after being shot down by a Nazi officer-inspired Mickey Mouse-esque character's guns. That poor duck is about to crash land into a pond while the mouse lights up another cigarette. The font, the S especially, is reminiscent of the German SS, or is it the Kiss S? A little animal skull is the logo of Last Gasp Eco Funnies, the publisher. And then it's listed as adults. So right away, wow, this is not a kid's book. The cover price is $1.25, which is outlandish for 1979. Comics at that price would be about, uh, I guess, 25 cents or less from the big publishers. This is $1.25. Very expensive. And it would have only been found in certain shops where discerning adults would be visiting to purchase various substances. The cover is beautifully painted and extremely subversive. The book proper has eight different stories. It's an anthology, after all, from a variety of authors, a variety of art styles and concepts. The first story is Star Rats by George Metzger. It's a parody of uh, war movies. It has touches of Star Wars. After all, it had come out in 1977. And it's about three rats that are on shore leave at an alien planet. Ralston Rat is the main character. And the Sarge scolds him. Now Dante's the sin planet of the universe. Where you'll find anything you want at any price. But some of the species down there are crawling with disease. And for you, Ralston Rat, that means no ducks, you pervert you. Ah, oh, Sarge, just a bit of tail. And so basically him and uh, two buddies go off to a bar. They go drinking, carousing, gambling. He sneaks out. He goes over to the brothel for a good time. A fight breaks out at the bar. The rest of the soldiers spill in and join the ruckus. Then they have to pull away Ralston Rat from the throes of passion. And yes, you do see everything. The cops show up, bust everything up, and the trio goes back to the ship. But wait a minute. One week later in Sikabay, the Sarge, you're clean, Ralston. The Doc, one of the most virulent cases I've ever encountered. Sarge, and the source is obvious. What you gotta say, Ralston? He replies, I know, Sarge. Next time, no ducks. So he got an STI from Shore Leave. The art is super cartoony, super fun. This could have been a Disney comic, but the subject matter is completely adult, completely gross and weird. The draftsmanship of this story is excellent. Great 
sense of space and the various characters and expressions and anatomy works really well. It's, it's funny overall. It's a, sort of a classic tale. Well, classic in 2019. What about in 1979? Wow, 40 years ago. So yeah, it would have been classic at that time as well, I'm sure. The second story is from Richard Larson, who actually did two in the book. This first one is Have Nose, Will Sniff. And it's basically Chasney Zwieback, Private Eye. He's in bed with a beautiful girl watching TV. Oh, he's a dog and she seems to be a human character and doesn't wear much clothes, like zero. Al shows up at their place, a dead body clutching his little koala body. Chaz has to separate the corpse from Al, while Thumper, the girl in bed, freaks out. This is a two-page story that basically they have to go dispose of a body and make it look like it was an accident. The art style on this is a lot busier and scratchier than the Star Rats story. Each page is a tight nine panels with a lot of dialogue balloons, but still enough to have action scenes close up, shots, faraway shots, and you get a sort of a kinetic sense of it all, a, a grungy, grimy sense of it all. It's a weird story and it ends pretty weird too. Then we're on to Large Cow Comics by Hunt Emerson. Now this one is a completely surrealistic story featuring Alan Rabbit, occasionally known as Bill the Bunny, as the world is taken over by bats. And these bats force everyone to be bats as well. Uh, eventually, after the bat revolution happens, the goldfish revolution comes. And then the anteater revolution, the age of hyenas, the snail age, and finally it all ends with the stork age. Really weird. There's also a floating clock as a character. It's just really weird. The art is amazing. It's like the penmanship in this is excellent. The variety of line work. The hyper caricatured characters look really cute and fun. This is a definitely much more of a gentle story than the previous two, dealing with diseases and death. This is just about, uh, yeah, some mean old bats are taking over the world. There's a shot with uh, three of these bats um, on a TV screen, and the artist, Emerson, uh, draws these scan lines on the TV that look excellent, like real scan lines on a TV. It's just hard to describe, but they, it just looks great. And Emerson was able to create this great world uh, that reminds me a lot of, like, um, Crazy Cat, the classic Crazy Cat and Ignatz comics of the Platinum Age of Comics in the early 1900s. And it's just, again, surreal is the best word to describe it. But very nice detail, penmanship, variety of tones are created even with just simple black ink pen. And the ending is uh, everyone's happy that it's the Stork Age because they can uh, stand like uh, storks, I guess. The next story is Tim Boxell's Stoned Wolf in Curtains. Now this art style is, is just something to behold. It's very thin lines, lots of cross hatching and hatching and stippling and patterns. It's a very dense looking comic. 
basically Stephen Wolf, aka Stoned Wolf, is having a nightmare where he's being awarded the Good Neighbor Award. He wakes up and promptly barfs and wonders, am I becoming a wimp? So the way he's going to fix his dilemma is to go visit his dad at the, at the old folks' home and throw an anvil at him, forcing him to tumble from the top of the stairs. Um, that did it. His dreams are no longer nightmares. He's back on that scene, and instead of uh, accepting the award, he's kicking everyone's butt. Well, Dad comes back for revenge, ties a TV to his leg, and pushes the TV out the window. Dad remarks, Just remember, son, you fool around with your mother, it's incest. You fool around with your father, it's curtains. The end. So again, another totally weird story told in six pages with a, just a subversive plot, fascinating art, weird and cartoony, proto-furry. Next up is The Underground Cafeteria by Steve Lealoha. Lealoha actually went on to work at Marvel and DC in the 80s and 90s, and here he is contributing to this completely underground, long-forgotten niche publication. He's got chapter 17 of the Underground Cafeteria. Now, this is only issue two, so I don't know if there really were 16 previous chapters. But the joke of it is that this um, this story is like really in the art style of uh, Mobius, the uh, 1970s French, I believe he's French, uh, artist that was often found in um, more highbrow magazines and comics such as Heavy Metal. He was also in Metal Hurlant, the French progenitor of Heavy Metal. So it shows in the art style, it's like a very thin line, expertly crafted, lots of detail, just creating great texture. It really depicts like an alien world, um, the main character visiting a bazaar. The main character is Major Scale, a rabbit character. Reminds me of a sort of like a British Victorian era style character, uh, adventure, I suppose. This is happening on some planet somewhere, and he's he's looking for a duck. Eventually, he gets to the to the regent of the place, and under the soft ultramaroon rays of Alpholos's seventh moon, the trail becomes clear. The regent has eaten the duck. The story ends with Major Scale. Say, does this strip ever end? And one of his companions. Of course not. It's a Mobius strip. Har har. Jim Schumeister contributes a one-page comic, The Gromf. It feels like a classic, what would you say, Saturday morning cartoon style, maybe like, um, hmm, 60s style. Like, I can kind of like feel what the style is. I can't quite tell what sort of characters it is, but not Bugs Bunny or not Hanna-Barbera or anything like that. Sort of like that other style of like, I don't know, I'm thinking Deep Patty Freeling, but no, that's more like um, Pink Panther and the Inspector. Well, you know, maybe like the Inspector style of the Deep Patty Freeling um, Pink Panther cartoons. But anyway, this is a one-page story where the Gromf enters Bubbles Rap Parlor. And the Gromf is some sort of uh, cute demonic character vaguely reminiscent of the of the villains from the yellow the beatles yellow submarine film he asks the buxom proprietor how much to wrap baby she replies that'll be 25 dollars honey he hands over the money okay 
Now let's rap. Anytime you're ready, sweets. And they start rapping, which is they're uh, rubbing their horns together. And the strip ends. Weird. Next up is The Cloven Tree by J. Michael Leonard. I loved this one. Visually, it's just gorgeous. It's like a really well-done Bernie Wrightson style. It takes place in a spooky night where a cat, a dog, and a monkey are talking about a haunted tree where a murder took place. They visit it so that they can perhaps see a return of the spirits. They get spooked by Moonshiner, a rat on his crow. It's just really spooky. It really gets a great sense of the night, the howling wind, the scary tree. In the end, an axe does attempt to befall them. Oh, but it's Smokey Ben out for revenge because Moonshiner sold him some bad homemade whiskey. He bellows, wielding his axe. The damn home-cooked whiskey you sold me weren't nothing but low-grade kerosene. Done killed off half the hog lot and two draft mules and my oldest boy. So there aren't any supernatural axe murderers here. It's just a regular old kind betrayed by Moonshiner the Rat. The final story is by Richard Larson again, and this is Bun E. Issue one of No Ducks had a Bun E story, and here's another one. It's basically a sci-fi story where Cap and crew, a couple of bunnies, travel the spaceways and get into all sorts of trouble. This story starts off in the throes of passion as a menage a trois between Cap and crew and the daughter of the leader of the huge Zookies. Dad comes a-knockin' at their, their ship that was just a-rockin' and there's a firefight. Well, Cap and crew have to blast off before Dad blasts them. All seems lost until the creator, Hold on, I'm in charge here, and I just saw the goodbye girl, and I'm in the mood for a happy ending. This is 1978, for Christ's sake. Time for a little deus ex machina. So the author saves his two characters from the huge Zwickies, and they end up with Commander Elrod Panache, flagship of the Rebellion. He's there to intercept Cap and crew because of this plot. Get this. He states, The Princess Samuza is one of us, don't you know? She had vital info concerning her mom's various double agents, secreted in a nanodot up inside her woolly. Crew replies, she didn't have no pets with her when we were there. Cap, you mean? And the commander, uh, yeah, you guys were, how can I put this delicately, slipping the nut to her, n'est-ce pas? Well, whichever of you it was that went first, now has the nanodot on his swinkis. So who was it? This will probably go into the history book, so don't be shy. Cap is a little flustered. Crew, what Cap trying to tell you is that we as a team. Commander, Jesus, you're even more degenerate than your reputation. Some expletives that I won't read are uttered, and basically both rabbits have to insert their iguanas into the computer to read the data. Crew is fine to do it, but Cap protests. They're convinced because that valuable information on that microdot is valuable. The rebels get their data, and then Cap and crew blast off, complaining, Oh yeah? Then how come I got this whirring nose coming from my pubic hair, huh? I tell you, I got little robot crabs from that. Beep! 
The final back page is basically the various characters that had appeared in the comic stuffing a duck into a meat grinder. And yes, it shows it all. Thus ends issue two of No Ducks from Last Gasp. Quick side note, that's when they used to be called Last Gasp Eco Funnies. They'd then be known throughout the 80s simply as Last Gasp. And again, this book is just a fascinating historical artifact, an underground comic, completely subversive, weird, gross, interesting, fascinating, hilarious, nasty, long forgotten. I dare say most of the audience had never heard of this book, but if you have, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it in the comments. Two big thumbs up. So this week I read No Ducks, number two, from Last Gasp Eco Funnies, published in 1979. And this has been the weekly VM Campos Comic Book Club. See you next week.